All rise. The judge has done it. 61 is already in the books and etched along his name with Roger Maris as far as Major League Baseball and American League history. But now, does the pressure ratchet up for one Aaron Judge as he tries to eclipse the long record that has been held for 61 years? Or now is it smooth sailing for the Yankee slugger? The Mets turn back the clock to April, May, and June with a miraculous win against the Marlins last night as they have a one-game advantage in the National League East. I'll get into NFL Week 4 as far as the schedule. Same for college football. NBA training camps have opened with some interesting storylines, including Zion Williamson that is interesting to follow, as well as the NHL as the preseason has begun. If sports talk is what you're looking for, then don't move. You're in the right spot. It's all coming up. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc., All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please, throw me a few stars, write a review, it will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels Podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I got to call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. We could see October starting to rise in the back as September is slowly fading away. What's not fading is this sports podcast because I'm going to deliver it all here on a silver platter. Listen up because your boy's coming rapid fire as always as this is the J Reels podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get into here in this middle of the week as we get through the month of September and into the final quarter of 2022. And as we all know, time is just going to zoom right past us to the point where a lot of sports fans could open their arms to arguably the biggest sports month of the year. People that listen to me over the years know that April is the best sports month. And I get it, you could certainly argue that October is because you have... NFL in full swing, same for college football, the postseason in baseball, which will crown a champion at the end of the month, really into November when you think about it, but you'll have the NBA starting, the NHL as well, all of the major sports are in full effect, and although April, I love it because you still have the NFL draft, you have the Final Four, 
with the NCAA tournament in men's college basketball. You also have the Masters. But anyway, let's get right to it. October is just about here, and so is this podcast, as I'll touch on NFL Week 4. We'll go through the schedule there. You have some interesting games. A good one tonight in Cincinnati where the Dolphins put their 3-0 record on the line against a Bengal team that finally got off the mat in 2022 and got their first win of the season this past Sunday against the Jets. Also college football, I'll take a look at what's upcoming as far as Saturday's concern when we see what the schedule looks like. I believe you have Alabama and Arkansas. That's a game that is one of the highlight games of the day and there's a couple of others, but I'll share my thoughts on that later on. NBA training camps have opened, a lot of different storylines, whether it's here in Brooklyn, the whole Steve Nash, Kevin Durant soap opera that unfolded at the beginning of the summer, I'll get into that, but Zion Williamson, for what everybody's been saying, including his teammates, that this could be a big season for Zion, now we understand he has to stay healthy, I'll get into that later on, but as we start to turn our attention to the fall and winter sports, same for the NHL, as preseason games have already begun, And the season actually starts a week from today, I believe. Or is it tomorrow? Now that I think about it, it's the 7th, not the 6th. In Prague, Czech Republic, where you have Nashville and San Jose, they'll kick off the NHL season with two games there. But the season in earnest begins on the 11th. So we're going to have to get our mind focused and settled in on the fall and winter sports, which I'm sure is... Music to many sports fans' ears. But I'm starting off with the baseball as we're now six days away from the end of the baseball season. Two more series left when we look at the big picture. And the storylines that we have here, and no surprise, in a week which probably felt like a month for the Yankee fan and maybe six months for Aaron Judge, last night in Toronto in the seventh inning, he hits a two-run homer to tie Roger Maris, not only for the Yankee team record, but of course the American League record. It was seven days, really eight days when you think about it, because when he hit 60, it was Tuesday night, eight days prior, and now he's able to get the piano off the back, because you got to wonder, even though he drew a lot of walks and took a lot of pitches and pretty much was waiting it out, it didn't seem like he was trying to put any pressure on himself or grip the bat extra tight or try to erase this record with one mighty swing. And what we saw there last night, hitting that shot over the bullpen, and actually looked like it was going to be caught by a fan, and he dropped it, and I'm sure he hasn't slept a wink since that happened, because that would have been the million-dollar baseball tying Roger Maris. But now we could look at a Yankee team that already clinched the AL East, and we've talked about it, even when the Rays were breathing down their neck during the Labor Day weekend, and for everything that happened to this Yankee team in July, August, their free fall, 15 and a half game lead, sliced down to almost two in the loss column, and with them winning the division on Tuesday night, the first one since 2019, when you think about it, and then for Judge to hit the home run before they come home to play the Orioles this weekend in their final home series, I'm sure it was a big sigh of relief, but now comes the bigger question. Is the pressure still on for him to now surpass Roger Maris, or now that he's equaled him, he could pretty much, like I said, exhale, be a little bit more comfortable in the box. He's coming home. I get it. Between the fans, sold-out buildings because of the final regular season 
series of the year. And you would think Rob Manfred, his family, the Maris family, etc. All of the baseball spotlight is going to be focusing on Yankee Stadium this weekend to see whether or not he hits that 60-second home run for baseball immortality. And the only reason why I say that, yes, because it's not the 73 that Bonds hit. And we understand we cannot rewrite history. But for a lot of people out there that truly feel and believe that the single-season home run record would belong in the hearts and in the minds of baseball fans that are similar to my thought process. And it's a good debate and a good argument that if he does do it over the course of these next seven games, but in particular the three games in the Bronx, that he'll be the single-season home run king. Will he do it this weekend? I think this is the perfect setting. Do it at home if he possibly could. Who knows what the Orioles, who are pretty much breathing on life support for their wild card hopes. And I'm sure they're going to do whatever it takes to pitch around him, to not give him a meatball down the middle, to try to not be the team or even the pitcher that gives up the record. But I hope Judge does it, and I think he will between now and next Wednesday. But I'd like to see him do it here in the confines of of Yankee Stadium, with the crowd behind him, family, I'm sure, baseball executives, the Marises, etc. And then we could all rejoice when he hits that 60-second home run as he touches home plate. They might as well just give him the MVP award at the same time. And I've been talking about this for months already. So that's what you got there with Judge. I hope he does it this weekend. But I would think even if he doesn't, Texas, the Rangers, they'll probably throw him some 92-mile-hour fastballs right down the middle on a 3-0 count, and I'm sure he'll take them deep into the Texas night. That's number one. The second thing is, last night's Met game, this podcast would have let off with that, not even with Judge, because I was infuriated by the performance of this team over the course of not only in this last stretch of games, and yes, I understand they won two out of three in Oakland, two out of three in Milwaukee. They've for the most part, have won series, but they have not played well, especially to the way that they performed here in the first three to four months of the season. And what we saw there last night, when you get to the bottom of the seventh and the Mets are trailing 4 nothing as the Marlins tacked on two runs in the sixth and seventh innings, and the only thing I could think of was I was going to post a nasty, vitriolic, if that's such a word, we know vitriol is, drivel where I just would have gone off on this Met team and that's all I thought about but then Eduardo Escobar hits the two run homer in the bottom of the seventh and those were two of probably the biggest runs that the Mets needed all year because if the Marlins would have put up a zero there at four nothing the Mets probably would have lost the game but it did breathe some life into the team into the stadium it did help that in the bottom of the eighth Tanner Scott the Marlin reliever walked the ballpark And then Escobar with a two-out, two-run single to tie the game. And then even with the Mets in the bottom of the ninth, Tomas Nito leads off with a double. And they couldn't get him in at the bottom of the ninth. And at that point, I thought to myself, this is where the Mets are going to lose. Because that was their shot to not only put the game away, it would have been miraculous to do it in those nine innings. And any time that you're going to Start off the top of the 10th with a runner on second base. As a Met fan, you just think impending doom. 
You think that the Marlins are going to score there. Maybe they tack on another run. And then all the air is out of the balloon. And the Mets quietly go out in the bottom of the 10th. And the game is over. And even with the Braves losing. And mind you, that was enormous. Because the Braves' fate was sealed before the Mets were able to come back and win in the bottom of the 10th. Where Eduardo Escobar gets a flare between 2nd and 3rd. Coming into score is the winning run. And the Mets are miraculously have come from behind the way they did in April, May, June, and even the early part of July. And that magic that the Mets seem to have lost here, especially this month, but seems like over the last six, seven weeks, I tell you, it was one of their biggest wins that I've seen in a long time. And yes, they've had a lot of big wins this year, whether it was the seven-run ninth inning in Philadelphia that we saw, or even before that, when they were down... 2 nothing to the Cardinals, and they scored 5 in the top of the ninth to win. Uh, I could go through all these games that they've come from behind, and one where you could look at and say, wow, this looks like this could be a season to remember. A season that when it's all said and done, all these wins that have been lined up throughout the course of the season, but this one, by far, is the biggest. Because even if they would have lost this game, and they still would have been tied at the top going into the weekend in Atlanta, you would have had that feeling of, all right, we're still in good shape. All we need to do is at least win one game. We don't want to get swept here. It's the last thing the Mets and the fans want to witness. But knowing that you're tied going into the weekend, you would have settled for it. But because of that victory and the way they pulled that out and knowing that Atlanta had lost to Washington, man. But it doesn't mean that the division is over. It doesn't mean that the Mets have won. And even if they win one game over the weekend, just remember this, people. If they win one game, they're still even going into next week. And all we can hope for in one of those three games, being the final one on Wednesday, is Sandy Alcantara. Because it could come down to that game whether or not the Mets win a division. And we know Alcantara is the front runner to win the Cy Young in the National League. I'm sure some people will say Kyle Wright of Atlanta. But I'm looking too far ahead at the moment. We just have to look at this weekend. But boy, that was just a game that made you pull your hair out of your head, but also rejoice simultaneously. And with a day off today, and we understand Hurricane Ian is plowing through the southeast part of this country. It had gone through Florida and seemingly into Georgia to the extent to maybe there's a game that will be played tomorrow in the afternoon more of a matinee contest as opposed to Friday night. Now the Braves had balked at the idea of playing the first game of the series today. So they would have gotten this game out of the way, but they said no, they want the day off. Understood that they were traveling from Washington back into the Atlanta area, so I'm sure they looked at it as like, "Uh uh-uh, we'll just wait till Friday and then possibly play a doubleheader day-night on Sunday, which the Sunday night game is on ESPN. And if that were to be the case where they do play, whether it's in the afternoon to avoid the storm or tomorrow night and then not play Saturday, remember this, Mets fans, Sunday you're going to have either DeGrom game one or Scherzer game one. And then, of course, either one of those two pitchers, Sunday night, ESPN. And the way the Mets have played in doubleheaders this year, they are 14-4 and doubleheaders where they have not been swept. So... That could be a good sign, knowing that they have not been swept in any type of doubleheader fashion, 
Or it could be a situation where they're due to get swept, even with their two best pitchers toeing the rubber, if it does happen to fall that way, where they have the day-night and their two aces going at it against the Braves for the division. And when you think about it, that game tomorrow is going to be huge because it'll be Chris Bassett against Max Fried. He's having an excellent year as it is. And Bassett has been solid all year long. And going back to that whole doubleheader theory, if the Mets do win tomorrow, it would bode well for them knowing that they have not been swept and all they need to do is win one of those two games. So something to keep in mind as we head into the weekend. Who knows how it's going to shake out, especially with the weather. If it happens to make a significant turn to where they could play on Saturday, even better. But... I'll be back here on Monday to recap it all to see where we stand as far as the National League East goes. And I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully, as everybody knows, that the Mets come out on top because they need to win the division in the worst way. They cannot go into October or by this time next week knowing that they have to set their rotation up for a wild card round probably against either Philadelphia or San Diego and then have to worry about going to L.A. for game one, where chances are you may have to start either Taiwan Walker, maybe even Carlos Carrasco, or if you sweep the two games in the wild card round, have Chris Bassett start in a game one, and then you may have the Grom and or Scherzer go games three or four, but then game five, you got Bassett. And I'm sure the Met fan, they will have to deal with that if that's the case, but you rather win the division, take the week off, and have your pitching aligned for a five-game series, most likely against the Cardinals, instead of doing it the other way around. And this race has been similar to last year's Giant-Dodger race, where the Giants had to win on the last day their 107th victory to the Dodgers 106, where they had the home field throughout, but sadly, they had to face the Dodgers, considering they were the wildcard team, in the division series, and we know what happened there, where thankfully, that's not going to happen for the Mets this time around. Win the division, and they're not going to have to worry about playing the Braves in the division series. They're going to have the Cardinals because of the screwy system by not reseeding and have, let's say, the Braves play the Mets, and then, who knows, Cardinals, Padres, or even Brewers for that matter, going to play L.A., And if you're a Met fan, let the Braves and Dodgers go at it for five games and then you do have to win your series. It's not an automatic that the Mets are going to win the DS to go on to the championship series, but we all know which route would you take? Wild card and then the division series against LA or week off and then division series against St. Louis. As for the wild cards, the American League is pretty much going to be set because the Orioles are five in the loss And they have seven more games to play. And the Mariners, Rays, they have games in hands against them. But they're going to have to run the table where Tampa and or Seattle is going to have to run the table the opposite way. So great job by the Orioles. The way they've bounced back and the way they've hung in there in the race till the final week of the season. If you're an Oriole fan to my guy Jai in Baltimore, if I would have asked you, in the early part of June, that you would still be mathematically alive on September the 29th, you would have looked at me if I had 10 heads. 
And granted, they're going to fall short. Granted, they're not going to have a miraculous run to the wild card. But knowing that you're still alive here and there is a pretty much slim to none chance that you're going to make it, but you're in the conversation, you have to be happy about that. And that's something to build for 2023. But it's going to come down to whether or not, I think, Seattle or Tampa is going to go to Cleveland. Because Toronto, you think, would be set. They have, I understand it's one in the loss, but they do have a game and a half lead over the Rays for the fourth spot, which would be home field in the wild card round. And then you have Seattle, who are tied in the loss with Tampa in a game in hand, but sharing fifth and sixth place. Seattle, they've been stumbling, fumbling, and bumbling here over the last couple of weeks, have not played well. And even though they're going to make it to the postseason, but you wonder whether or not they're going to be able to restore themselves to play the baseball that they did in July and most of August, where September, now they've stubbed their toe and they're trying to find their way to get their groove back before the postseason begins next Friday. So we'll see what happens there. But I think Toronto will be the four seed. They will play in all likelihood I would think maybe Tampa, they'll hang on to get the five seed and it'll be good to have a division matchup for a wild card round, even though nobody outside of Toronto or Tampa is going to care. And that's saying much, especially for Tampa, because we know there's about 3,000 Tampa Bay Ray fans. And then you'll have Seattle and Cleveland will open up your American League wild card. In the National League, it's gotten interesting here because the Phillies have stumbled in Chicago to the Cubs of all teams to where they lost four in a row. Remember, they lost the back two games to the Braves over the weekend, and then now the two games of Wrigley, which I believe their series will conclude today. But they are a half game ahead of the Brewers as we currently speak, 83-71 and 71 to 83-72. and 72. The Padres look like they're going to be fine and entrenched in the five seed. We understand that the Braves, or even the Mets, you never know how this is going to unfold here between now and Wednesday But the Braves are pretty much in cruise control for the wild card and the four seed. It's either going to be Atlanta, San Diego, which we would think, and who's going to go to St. Louis is going to be the bigger question. Will it be Philadelphia or will it be Milwaukee? I understand from a division and even rivalry standpoint, you'll have your Suds series between the Brewers and Miller and the Cardinals with Budweiser. If you go back to 1982 to think about that 40 years ago. But when we look at these schedules down the stretch, especially for these two teams, because this is pretty much the only race that's left other than the National League East. The Phillies have the one more game against the Cubs this afternoon. Then they have four in Washington before going to Houston. And Houston's not going to have anything to play for and they're going to align their pitching for the following week, etc. But... It is going to be tough sledding. And the four in Washington, I know, could be easy. But the Phillies, can you really trust them 100% at this point? They've already stubbed their toe against the Cubs here. And the Cubs have been out to sea since July. And if you're a Philly fan, how do you expect that to change here over the course of 24 hours where you have to win today and then fly east to Washington? Not a far flight, but you understand. And then you have to go to Houston. So that is going to be a tough stretch where they have no more home games pretty much from here on out unless they do win in the wildcard round and then have to play in a division series where they'll have two home games. So you can look at it from that perspective. But that's what you have there with Philadelphia. Much tougher schedule when you think about it. 
And then with the Brewers, who have been hanging in there, and we understand that they lost the division quite some time ago, but the Brewers, they will conclude a series, or excuse me, they will start a series against the Marlins, who left City Field last night and will have four games in the Marlins. You never know what you're going to get. Sandy Alcantara will pitch tomorrow, so that's going to be a tough task for them tomorrow night. But after that series, where the Marlins will leave on Sunday, the Brewers will host Arizona, so their schedule is a lot easier. And would you be surprised that the Brewers sneak in through the back door and have a first round against St. Louis where you'll have a division matchup there and in all likelihood a division matchup in the AL, as I mentioned, with Toronto and Tampa. And that's what you have with baseball here going into this final week. Now let's turn our attention to the NFL as week four kicks off tonight. And even though you have the 17-game schedule, and now with that uneven, not having that clean 16, having that extra game, although it's not the official quarter mark of the year because there's no such thing now, which to me sucks, to put it bluntly, but you're approaching that quarter mark to get an idea an understanding of how these teams and where their seasons could go. And tonight is indicative of that because you have a Dolphin team who have had two enormous wins over the last couple of weeks, that crazy game in Baltimore, and then beating Buffalo the way they did, although Buffalo pretty much dominated the game offensively. But give it up for the Dolphins. And now you have a matchup where they go into Cincinnati against the reigning AFC champions with a win under their belt and trying to get to 500 and also get their season back in the balance to where they could get their sea legs, they could look at this first quarter, quote-unquote, to say, all right, we started off 0-2, now we're 2-2, let's see where the season takes us here in this next quarter. And then you have a little storyline tonight where Tyreek Hill and Eli Apple going back to the AFC Championship game last year, there seems to be some bad blood there between the two where the Dolphins say they're going to have their teammates back, a one Eli Apple again, where Jesse Bates has come out and said some things, and the team is rallying around that bit of bulletin board material. So let's see if that takes place on the field tonight, where you know the Dolphins, although they're flying, but with a short week and having to travel, who knows what kind of performance you're going to get out of Tua Tagovailoa, which is on the injury report, same for Jalen Waddell. So we have to see whether or not I would think they're going to play, but how effective they'll be in the game, that remains to be seen. But you would think that the Bengals, and usually the home team, usually comes out on top with these Thursday night matchups. But that's a good game to kick off a week four here tonight. Now, the big game of the week is Sunday night, a rematch of Super Bowl 55 between Kansas City and Tampa. And there's been talk about the game being relocated to Minneapolis, of all places which I understand they want to be indoors in a dome, but it's going to have no feel. I know NBC probably is not even hoping for that. There have been some talk about maybe even Foxborough, which will give the Buccaneers a bit of a home field advantage considering Tom Brady and giving out whatever, free concessions or $10 tickets to fill the stadium so they can have at least a little bit of ambiance for an NBC game that a lot of people are going to be looking in on. And it's going to get a big rating. But Minneapolis looks like it's going to be the destination for this game. Which, like I said, even if you give away free concessions and free tickets to the citizens of the Twin Cities, 
you're not going to have a feel. You're not going to have, nobody's going to really care. They're just going to go because it's a football game that's not including their hometown team, the Vikings, but they're just going to go just to show up. And to me, that would be a bad look for the NFL if they do that. They should just wait this thing out. I understand there's going to be a lot of damage with streets, even though the storm will be long gone by then. But Tampa, although it's been hit, hopefully it's starting the recovery process now if the storm hasn't, completely gone either out to sea or starting to wreak havoc up the eastern seaboard. But all we can hope for, if you're a football fan, is that the game does stay in Tampa, that we do have fans in the building, and that NBC will be able to broadcast, and the outcome of this game won't be anything close to what we saw there at the Super Bowl two years ago. So I wish I could give you a little bit more story on this game or how it will play out, but it all depends on what the setting is going to be. And we know the Buccaneers have struggled here offensively to start off the year, even though they are 2-1 and one with two road games. But we've seen, and we talked about this on the podcast Monday, them being unable to score has been a surprise. Because we've seen what this Tampa offense has looked like in the past, especially with Brady in uniform, where they've put up a ton of points. And maybe they haven't, gotten this well-oiled machine, even though with a battered offensive line and with Mike Evans out, who will be back this week and not just clicking on all cylinders, who knows? Maybe this is the week that they will do so and get their season back on track. Really, their offense, not necessarily their season, but their offense back on track to where it once was over the last couple of years. And KC had a bad loss against the Colts the other day, so I'm sure they're chomping at the bit, ready to get back on the field and even maybe exact a little bit of revenge to what they witnessed and experienced on that field two Februarys ago. Your other big games of the day, I have to throw this out there. You have your first London game where the Vikings will play the Saints in Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, not at Wembley. So for those, especially here on the East Coast, when you wake up in the morning, you have an NFL game to watch. If you listen to me in the past, I am not a fan of these London games. I'm just not. So even though I have to kind of readjust my eyes when I, let's say, open up ESPN or the sports app that I follow and look for the latest sports news, and next thing I know, I see a score, and I'm like, huh? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, the London game today. So you have that to get wrapped up in if you're into fantasy or a dynamo NFL fan. And I am, people. I am. But still, those London games, why even bother? But you have Buffalo at Baltimore, which is going to be very interesting, knowing that Buffalo, off of that loss in Miami, having to go on the road again against a very feisty Raven team. So that's going to be an early test for the Bills to see what they could do against Lamar Jackson. And that defense, who was nicked up last week, as we saw against the Dolphins, but I'm sure they'll get a couple of bodies back. So that's a game to focus in on. And then the 4 o'clock window, you have New England and Green Bay, but no, this isn't a Brady versus Rogers scenario that we saw last week with Green Bay and Tampa, and with Mac Jones going to be out, and Bill Belichick in his press conference saying it a million times, and we know Belichick in those settings is always going to be dry, he's going to be mundane, and when everybody's asking about, oh, what's his status, how long is he going to be out, how severe the ankle is, day by day, day by day, day by day, that's all you're going to get from him. And he's a robot in that regard. So he's not going to break. He's not going to show any emotion. He's just going to give you the same monotone answer. So whether or not 
you're going to see Mac Jones on the center come Sunday? I would think not, but that appeal is going to be zero, even with Jones in the lineup because the Patriots aren't any good. But I couldn't even tell you who the backup is off the top of my head. But if that's going to be a scenario where, I think it's what, Brian Hoyer? That's going to be a scenario where that game, although a lot of people are going to try to bring some nostalgia in and say, oh, it is Belichick and you still have to worry about the Patriots, please, I'm not buying that in the least. And then the rest of the schedule is, eh. Do or die for Las Vegas this week against Denver. That's a game that, if you're a Raider fan, if you do not win this game, you might as well just wait till next year. And I'm sure there's going to be a major shakeup there. And Devontae Adams, that's been a disaster to say the least. I haven't even talked about that or touched on it. How he only got a couple of touches in the game against Arizona in that second half. Last week, he didn't have a big game. I think he only had three catches or whatever it was. I'd have to go back and check. But he has not been able to connect with his college quarterback the way I'm sure he probably thought once the trade was made from Green Bay to Las Vegas. And it has just been a nightmarish start for the Raiders. And this is do or die against a Denver team who has not shown a lot either to start off their season. But let's see how that unfolds there in the Sin City come Sunday afternoon. Besides that, you don't have a lot of big games. Cleveland, Atlanta, Washington at Dallas, Seattle, Detroit, Tennessee, Indy. Eh, maybe that, but that's a C-plus game at best. Jets at Pittsburgh, where you'll see Zach Wilson under center for the first time this year. So, an interesting test for him. I understand no T.J. Watt, but the Steelers coming off of that loss against the Browns last Thursday and having 10 days off, and now that they're going to prepare for Zach Wilson to start, let's see what they could do with a few extra days of rest and trying to get their season back on track. The Chargers in Houston, not really a good schedule when you think about it. Your Monday night game is decent. Rams going up the coast to play the Niners. And that's what you have for week four. Besides that, I know you had Miles Garrett in that car accident the other day where who knows what his status is going to be for the game in Atlanta come Sunday. He was okay. He did suffer a shoulder sprain as well as a bicep strain. No broken bones. There was also a woman in the car. Thankfully, no life-threatening injuries for her or for him. Both had their seatbelts on. No drugs or alcohol were suspected. So, I guess you just chalk it up to just a bad accident. And thankfully, all the parties that were involved are doing fine. And I'm sure we'll see Garrett at some point this year. Maybe not this week, but thankfully, all is good on that front. As far as college football this week, you have a couple of interesting games. And as we've seen here with the schedule to start off the college football season, we always look at a couple of games that are like, eh, And then they turn out to be either barn burners or nail biters and they happen to upend whether it's the top 10 or even the top 25 for that matter. But the early game that we could look at is Michigan at Iowa. Now, Iowa's offense, as we know, is very sparse. They're not a team that if they get into the 20s, you'd be surprised. But Michigan on the road and you think that the Hawkeyes would be up for this game, that's not to say that right away there's going to be an upset in the making. But if you happen to be traveling or in the midst of food shopping or errands on Saturday and you look at your phone or you happen to walk through the door and you turn on the TV and you see that Iowa is maybe down by three with the ball mid-fourth quarter, 
Would you be surprised? And Michigan, obviously they've had a lot of success here over the last couple of years. And this is a season that they're looking to build on what took place last year, making it to the college football playoff Final Four. And even with Ohio State down the road having to go to Columbus for that game, this is one that they certainly can't stub their toe because they have to go into that game undefeated. I would think Michigan's going to win this game and watch them win comfortably. You never know, but this is one game that you're going to have to pay attention to, especially not necessarily early on, but if you come third quarter and you kind of see that it's Michigan 13, Iowa 10, then you're going to have to really watch and see how this is going to shape up. Because if I was going to hang around, if I was going to be in the game, then anything could happen. But if Michigan does what they're supposed to do, get out to a two-touchdown lead, force a couple of turnovers, Iowa has to go uphill without a paddle, or upstream without a paddle, you know what I'm saying, people. If they have to do that, then Michigan looks like they'll be in good shape to win that game. But we'll see come Saturday afternoon at noon on Fox. Kentucky and Ole Miss, I understand that that's a game that doesn't have a lot of sex appeal, but when we look at Kentucky and what they've done so far this year, and even Ole Miss for that matter, with the whole college football playoff discussion, that's a game that we're going to have to focus in on. As we move on down the schedule, Oklahoma State and Baylor, another big game, Alabama and Arkansas, even with Arkansas losing last week to Texas A&M, but the game is in their building. If they're going to do anything, and as we saw Alabama and Texas a few weeks ago come out of that game with a victory, and I get it, it was a thousand degree heat down in Texas, and the Longhorns had opportunities, but can Arkansas come close to pulling off an upset or come close to playing that type of caliber football to keep themselves in the game, to keep themselves within arm's length, to either tie or take the lead late or even win the game, that's something that remains to be seen. So that's another game that we'll look in on. So you have a bunch of games, Wake Forest and Florida State, with the way Wake Forest has been playing, even though they had a tough loss against Clemson in that double overtime game. But I understand for the big picture, you're not going to really look at any one of those two teams. But it's still going to be an interesting matchup, to say the least. And your Saturday night game, which is always one to look out for, is NC State, another one of those teams that have been sort of Cinderella here. You wonder whether or not that they're going to have enough in the tank to go to Clemson after what they just did at Wake Forest, as I mentioned a minute ago, about them seeing if they could hang tight with the Clemson Tigers and maybe shock the world to put themselves in a position to where maybe they can be part of this college football playoff mix. I don't think so. I think Clemson looked at that game last week as a, thank God we got out of it alive. I would not be surprised if they put it on NC State over the weekend or on Saturday. But you do have quite a few games to look at here this weekend. And we'll recap it all come Monday when the latest podcast arrives at that time. All right. Let's put on the high tops, people, because the training camps have opened up throughout the NBA. A couple days ago, you had media day where we had a lot of different storylines. And I don't want to belabor some of them because we've talked about them ad infinitum over the summer, whether it's in Brooklyn, that whole scenario with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and even Steve Nash, excuse me. Nash even squashed the whole Durant thing when he came out and said that we put it behind us. Yeah, we had a moment, but everything is fine. There's nothing really to discuss, get into it. We're just focused in on the upcoming season. We want to make sure that the championship aspirations that we had over the last couple of years 
That is the intent. That is the focus. That's what we're trying to hone in on. All the outside noise that's over and done with. We don't have to worry about vaccinations. We don't have to worry about trade requests. We don't have to worry about who's going to get fired. Who is going to be jettisoned for whomever. None of that. So now you have a scenario where all is well in Brooklyn. I know Kyrie came out and said that he passed up an $100 million extension based on his vaccination status. And I get that he probably could have re-upped at that time, but the Nets didn't trust him based on his availability. And right, we could rehash that whole thing, but uh-uh. let's start clean. It's a new season on the horizon. So let's see what happens from here on out. Even Ben Simmons to the point where he feels like he doesn't even have to score in order to be effective. So they're not putting a lot of pressure on his plate. And we understand with the history of the mental health, they're not looking at Ben Simmons to be the guy, hey, you're going to have to put up 15 to 20 points to help Kyrie and KD offensively. So they're trying to lessen the load there. He's just going to be the guy that will push the ball up, especially in transition, and also lock down the other team's best wing player or best player overall. That's going to be Ben Simmons' job coming into this year. It's not going to be to score in the half court. It's not going to be to shoot any threes, as we all know. Yes, he's going to have to make some free throws. He's going to have to attack the basket at times, but... Who knows? Is it going to be an ornament four against five in a half court when it's all said and done? Chances are it's going to be yes. But again, transition, fast break, points, opportunities, and play defense. That's going to be the name of Ben Simmons' game this coming season. So as we push that aside, the situation in Phoenix I find very surprising with DeAndre Ayton saying that he hadn't spoken to Coach Monty Williams since Game 7, that loss, the brutal loss against the Dallas Mavericks. I'm sure they hashed it out. Even Monty Williams did say that, yes, they were going to have a meeting in the minds. It was no big deal. The first thing I think about was, were there any exit interviews after that demoralizing Game 7 loss at home? I'm sure a lot of teams have that where they take a couple of days to process it. They go clean out their lockers and off they go into the summer. But did Aiton and Williams, were they two ships in the night passing by one another where they didn't get to connect at the season's end what happened there so I found that a little surprising and with the pause signing him to an extension to where the off the top of my head I even forgot was it the Pistons that gave him an offer or Indiana I believe it was the Pacers who gave him the offer sheet and then Phoenix matched that 24 hours later all right they matched it they put their money where their mouths were but was it out of reluctance was it something that they were forced to do that's something that we will never know But you have that scenario where they're trying to patch things up, I guess, between player and coach. Not that there's any significant beef, but you get what I'm saying when it comes to one of their top players and the head coach. The other big story that I've read is Zion Williamson could be headed for a big season this year. Now, we understand with a big asterisk that it's all about his health. If he is healthy... We know he could be a dominant force. We've seen that. Small sample size, but we've seen him play at a top level when he's healthy. And I think the league needs this. This was a guy coming out of college, as we know, Duke, that potentially could have been a transformational type of player. 6'8", built like a tight end, runs up and down the floor, brute strength, has a nice touch from the outside, can pass. He could pretty much do it all. But we have not seen that because he's been on the shelf and has been on the sidelines for most of the first three years of his playing career, that now we may get an opportunity to see him full force, full-fledged 
100% going at it to where he doesn't feel any pain. He doesn't have to worry about knees, the broken foot he had last year, etc. And I think it would be a boon, not only for New Orleans as a team that was on the come up last year and gave Phoenix all they could handle in that first round, but maybe a team that could lay in the weeds in the West, which is pretty loaded when you think about it. Clippers are going to be good and in contention for a title. Golden State is your defending champ. Phoenix, you would think they're going to be heard from. Dallas, maybe they take a step up this year with Luka. I'm probably forgetting a team off the top of my head, but you get where I'm coming from. Huh, the Lakers, how can I forget where AD thinks that they're going in with, a, with an underdog mentality this year, which, all right, whatever they want to do to psych themselves into this season to know that we're flying under the radar and nobody's paying attention to us, that's how we like it. And that may be the case, considering all the aforementioned teams that are probably going to be one of the favorites to get out of the West for an NBA final. But to have a young team, New Orleans, and with that young coach, Willie Green, that could be something that the league will look forward to, to see how this young player coming into the league, everybody had high expectations for, and maybe we could finally see that potential blossom into a superstar, and maybe, maybe, be that face of the league somewhere in the next three to five years. And then you have Lonzo Ball, speaking of bad knees. He had arthroscopic surgery in January and now has to go into surgery again because he is unable to run and jump. And that's a tough break for the Bulls. Remember, they got off to that tremendous start there last year and then faded down the stretch and then meekly went out in five against the Bucks in the first round last year. But to have your point guard out and a team that you would think when they were put together last year, and I picked them as an over, and they barely just made it as an over, even with their big start. But now you have to wonder, is there going to be some uncertainty with that team going into this year? And not to say that Lonzo Ball is Magic Johnson or is the focal point of the team, but when you lose one of your top players, it's a blow. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But with Ball, we're going to have to see what his status is going to be moving forward. In all likelihood, he's going to miss the start of the year, probably maybe the first month or two. Who knows? So that's just a tough break as we get into training camp mode, as we get into a feel for an NBA season. And that's what you got here in these first few days to start off training camp. And the NHL pretty much the same, although with a lot less fanfare. As I mentioned at the top, the season starts a week from tomorrow in Prague, the Czech Republic with Nashville and San Jose. Why they picked those two teams, I don't know. I'm sure there has to be some influence of Czech players in either one of those two teams. And I don't know their roster from 1 to 20. So I'm sure there's a little bit of influence there where they're probably going to have decent crowds or maybe even big crowds for that matter. But the season does begin October 11th. Tampa at New York is your opening game. And your night game, I don't know off the top of my head, but you have your rematch of the Eastern Conference Final last year, which I'm sure left a bitter taste in the Ranger fans and the organization's mouths, considering they had a 2-0 series lead and actually had a 2-1 lead in Game 4, excuse me, before they spit the bit and then obviously lost in 6. Still a lot of time between now and the start of the season. I have to brush up on my over-under point totals, which is going to be the first time I am ever going to do that when it comes to the NHL. I've done over-unders for baseball, football, basketball, but never for hockey. And this is going to be a shot in the dark, people. And I may tell you this, I hate to say it, whatever the Islander number is, I'm taking the under. 
If it's 70 points, maybe not. But if it's somewhere in the mid-80s, I'm taking them as the under. For reasons, if you've heard the podcast over the summer, you know why. But that's what I got for the NHL for now as we get ourselves ready for October and a big sports month to come. And with that said, people, that will wrap up the latest edition as we close out September in fine fashion. Looking forward to what October has in store, especially when it comes to the world of sports. Thank you so much for passing by, to share your time, to put your energy, whether it's during your morning or evening commute, whether it's at home while you're cooking, cleaning, or at the gym. Wherever you take me, I sincerely, gratefully appreciate you giving your boy a listen to as I... Wax poetic on everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, as I mentioned at the top, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Throw me a few stars, write a review just to increase the visibility as we move forward and march on to the final quarter of the year as I always, even with the one-man operation that I am, have a lot on, on my plate, but at the same time, I'm looking forward to it, especially as we move into 2023 as I have a lot planned and I just hope to execute it all for you guys and gals as I put forth two podcasts a week. So please subscribe, rate, and review. If you want to send me a question, comment, criticism, praise, or suggestion, you could do so on any of the social media sites and the email address at thejreelspodcast at gmail.com, TikTok, the J Reels Podcast, Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast, Twitter, J Reels One, just the number, or Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals as well. And then... To contribute to this endeavor, you could do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to contribute, I'd be more than grateful, gracious, thankful, and blessed for your contribution. It's going 100% to this production, the upkeep of the website, equipment, as I try to enhance this to make this bigger and better. And I know I've been saying this for weeks, but with everything that I have to put forth, and I don't mind the people, this is what I love to do, so I don't care, but I know that's a platform that I've neglected, but once I get more traction and wait for some subscribers in that particular realm, I'll be sure to put out a lot of content exclusively for you guys and gals, because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. This is what I love to talk about. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. That is what I like to say, and I'm here to stay. Rhyming skills aside, I love to critique, analyze what my thoughts, opinions, analysis on anything and everything that has to do with what goes on in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific, all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>